This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Hour 2 of Southern California Live on this sunny Tuesday edition. I say sunny because it's going to be rainy tomorrow. Hope that you could enjoy a little bit about the sun today and a little bit about the sun. I don't know if you did some reading about the sun, but I hope that you felt some of the warmth from the sun, the hardly even 70 degrees warmth, but, uh, you know, warmer than what we've had. Getting close. We're in springtime now, and I uh, hope that you're enjoying that. The number here is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. This hour, or at least this segment, uh, I want to talk about this. What is the Christian narrative? And what I mean by that is in the, in the politics of the day, there's always narrative. There's a lot of conversation now about the narrative. Right. There is a lot of conversation about the media wanting to focus on a particular narrative, the way that, for example, the Nashville shooting is being covered. uh, There is different narratives going on. There are different arguments people have about guns, people, different arguments people have about the various issues. And there's a conservative narrative. There's a liberal narrative. There's narrative related to other things. The narrative, the idea of a narrative is it's the storyline. And sometimes whoever wins the narrative wins the day, meaning that in the politics in, you know, we're just kind of like a continuous election cycle now in our culture. And I think as Christians, we get caught up in that sometimes and we forget the narrative of the gospel. We forget the primary reasons that we're actually here. And we forget as we ended the last hour with the idea that, you know, what is if people genuinely become disciples of Jesus Christ, if they genuinely have the Holy Spirit in their life, and the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, these things become the attribute of the person, then not just that person gets better, but the people around them get better. And this impacts the culture. It really does. Not just people saying that they're Christian. There's a lot of people who say, oh, I'm a Christian, and they go to church once in a while, or at least on Easter, and you know, but they don't, you know, outside of, of the walls of the church service, you'd never know they're a Christian. But I think that you've seen it. As a pastor, I've seen it a ton, and I hope that you've seen it. I hope that in your Christian walk, you've had the opportunity to actually show and actually see somebody that you've prayed for, somebody that you've invested in, that you've had the opportunity to see them grow in their faith, wherever they are. And what I want to ask you is to tell me what you think the Christian narrative is, meaning that if you're going to have, somebody's going to ask you what it is you believe, what it is as a Christian you are for, what is it about Easter that you really want people to know about? What is that? How would you how would you phrase it? What have you found found to be effective in your life? The number is 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557. You know, in the world of narrative, it's easy to uh get caught up in it. And the thing is about narrative, the story that you want to tell. If you're telling a narrative that's not true, if you are incorrect, if you are speaking some kind of uh, truth, as we would say in our culture today, that ultimately is not actual fact. You're going to get messed up. And that's that's something here in this story of the, the shooter that happened because of the transgender issue. Now, this isn't about trans people. It's about the agenda that is behind it. That's often pushed by people who are not trans people, frankly, because there's an entirely different agenda. 
but once we found out that the shooter was trans, there's an interesting thing that happened is that much of the media kept referring to the shooter as a her, which she is. She is a biological woman. I think it's possible, depending on the situation once she was shot, that initially the police would have said she's a woman because that was the way they could tell. Uh, they may not have other other evidence with somebody who has uh, recently uh, demised. Is that a word? Is that how you say it? She was killed. Um, but then later that came out. But something that was interesting, this was what's going on yesterday. You know, and during our show, I'm trying to keep an eye on the news as this was breaking, and, and we were praying about it, and we were talking about different things. What was very interesting is that this person's Instagram got deleted the pronouns where this person was identifying as a man, he, him, got dropped from this person's LinkedIn page. And there was some kind of cleansing going on before their name was officially released. People knew who it was because of all the cops that showed up outside of her house, right? So that made it on social media. And so the the name of the person was out there and available before it was officially announced. And then once it was officially announced, people noticed and they took screenshots and they noticed that, oh, this person's um, public profiles have been changed a bit, but there was enough out there to show that that was, you know, and it may not, some people would say, well, the media was doing this to control the narrative, right? It could be the family doing it, right? The family might say, I don't want to be embarrassed by this, or I don't want her to be embarrassed in her death. There's so many issues here with her. She was obviously, we know from the police today that she was um, in counseling for something. We don't know for sure what that is. There's There's multiple things here going on. Uh, maybe the family was controlling the narrative. Other people think for, for political reasons, the media was controlling the narrative. There's an interesting discussion going on, though, about the fact that all of the newspapers initially were referring to this person as her because she's a her, biologically a woman. And even after it was determined that this person was trans and was identifying as a man, the the rule is politically, the narrative would say you have to call this person a he and treat them like a man and assume they are a man. Um, and everybody, including the New York Times and USA Today, were referring to her as her. Um, and they, they, when you when you do that, it's considered misgendering. It's a it's a devastating left wing sin to misgender somebody. Uh, an organization called the Trans Resistance Network put out a, a statement about it, angry at all the news for doing this. And you know they wanted to really make this person just as much a victim uh, as the people that she killed. And uh, it's kind of a terrifying statement, but it goes to narrative. The narrative being that what this person was going through on the trans side of things anyway should not be considered as mental illness. But, you know, in the case of tragedy, when everything kind of falls apart, reality rears its head. Reality comes up. And, you know, we have these shootings you know, it's always a case of mental illness. You know, I always think about this. Is it a hate crime? Is it uh, – I think if you go kill a bunch of people, it's always a hate crime. I realize that there, if there's racial motivations or other things, they'll classify it as that, right? This might be classified as a hate crime against Christians. We might have to sort of figure out, you know, what that looks like. Um, but it's a hate crime. It's a hateful thing to do, even though you might be a very uh, – you know, a person who is is very hurt and and damaged. There's a narrative here that is messed up because it's ultimately not true. You know, when the New York Times and when the left-wing reporters say, continue to call this person a her, they are tacitly admitting that there's really not more than two genders. That's just the way it is. 
Um, and later, maybe they'll start throwing he in there. But see, what, what's happening is they don't want this to become about trans. The the headline for Reuters News was Christian former Christian student uh, shoots kids at Christian school. They wanted it to be about the fact that she was a former student at that school, supposedly, and dropped the whole trans thing altogether. See, that's a narrative. The narrative is to shift it away from the issue that a trans person would commit this thing, because what we're being told is that the trans people are being murdered and killed, um, which does happen sometimes. But it's it's you see what I'm saying about narrative? And we can really get down into that. For Christians, we have a narrative, and here's my point with this. We have a narrative as Christians that gets lost sometimes because we get so far into the politics of things or so far into um, just even other things, even just our own church sometimes we get into, that we lose the story of Christ. So this is what I want to hear from you is what is the narrative of Christianity, the narrative of your faith? 888-528-2557. Robert in Glendora, welcome to Southern California Live. How are you? I'm good, Robert. How are you? I'm doing good, Scott. Yeah. Uh, the the narrative is the is the gospel. I mean, basically, um, we stand and witness to the truth of the fact of Christ and Him crucified on the cross, the substitutionary death for us for our sins, and we say it like it is. We say what the Bible says, and and it's and I fear that it's only going to get worse before it gets any better as far as uh, end time scenarios and things like that. I mean, we're seeing a huge, massive push uh, for such idiocy um, where people are even walking on eggshells, you know, about gender (laughs) identification and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it's so obviously ridiculous, but, you know, and, and to give into, you know, popular pressure, I even know some Christians that are really concerned about respecting these so-called gender, you know, rights and this kind of thing. And and, I, and personally, I think that the gospel ought to be preached so that they can understand their, their lost and sinful condition. And that's the only hope that they have is to repent and to come to faith in Christ. That's it. There is no other solution. There's not some kind of therapy groups they can go to or whatever. Or we have to talk to them a certain way or anything like that. It's just speak the truth in love. And that's it. Do you feel like Christians are prepared to do that? I don't know if the police are after you, behind you. If you need to get pulled over or something, you can call back. I'm just kidding. No, we keep, no, we no, keep hearing the siren. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, if, you got to, if you got an appointment with the LAPD, you know, you can take that. Um, exactly. You know, it, you know what is no, – you know, let's say somebody has a trans person in their life. Like, so, so these conversations, right, when we talk about this and narrative – the conversation about the shooting, the conversation about trans stuff that's constant in the, the news, and and we got Easter coming up, right? The, the conversation is different when you're speaking to somebody personally, and we're not just talking about the theoretical side of it. What is the narrative that we would say to somebody who is not a Christian, opposed to Christianity, maybe even opposed to the entire framework of Genesis 1 through 3? What's the right. Christian? Well, what's a positive I mean, response to that? The the positive response is that there are um, there's basically sheep and goats. There are two forms of people. That, if you look at it this way, Christ is on the cross, and there's two thieves on the there's two thieves next to him, one on one side, one on the other. Both are making fun of him, and finally one comes to his senses and says, "Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom?" And he says, "Today you'll be with me in paradise." 
that's mankind in and of itself. That's mm. the scenario that we're dealing with. It's either or. There's no walking the fine line and making sure you don't offend people or something like that, because the truth of the gospel is extremely offensive to those who are lost. Okay? So it's not, you're, you're never, you're only going to down water, and you're going to not teach the truth, and you're going to try to, you know, turn and jive and all this kind of stuff if you're trying to soften the message of the gospel, which is the forgiveness of sins. But if people can't identify with what is a sin, well, there's no hope for them to turn to Christ. There's no reason to. So you have to preach and, and teach the law, okay? And the law then should drive us to the understanding that we're completely, utterly lost, and we have no hope of saving ourselves in front of a holy, just God. And God, being just, provides us His Son as the propitiation for our sins. Mm-hmm. And so when we put our trust in Christ, essentially what Martin Luther said is the happy exchange. We give Christ our lost and sinful condition, and Christ gives us, imputes to us His grace his love, and his righteousness onto us. And it's as if when we stand before the Father, we've never, ever sinned our entire life. It's like a legal claim. Sure. Because when the, when the debt's been paid, there is, there's nothing owed. And Satan, truthfully, will roll out the scroll of my life and everybody's life and show everything we've done wrong. It's a judgment. Right. But Christ will say, Father, he's mine. He's my client. Yeah. And then the father will say, case dismissed. Yeah. Next. All right, Robert, I appreciate that. I want to I go on to some other calls. I think that you're explaining, you know, a lot of uh, theology very well and, uh, and doctrine very well. Thank you for doing that. Um, okay. One of, the, one of the things that I really want to get to, too, is, though, from a, a narrative perspective, you know, I, is, is there a way that you like to share the gospel that, that connects? I think what what he was saying is, you know, especially the part about thief on the cross, right? There's a great story there about somebody who has not lived a good life, who has no opportunity to even go live a good life. And simply by faith, by their own humility, somebody who was in fact mocking Christ initially, now is somebody who is, we're going to meet one day. What's the Christian narrative? This is Southern California Live. The number is 888-528-2557. Uh, what do you say to people? How do you do this? 888-528-2557. Jason in Ontario, welcome to Southern California Live. Hi, Scott. How are you doing today? I'm good. Jason, how are you? Uh, great. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking my call. I just uh, um, wanted to just share with uh, some of your listeners. Um, to me, really, uh, the Christian narrative and what it really boils down to is that um, – we separated ourselves from God, and Jesus, in his infinite love for us, made a way for us. And really, um, when I look at the when I look at my faith, I look at the sin separating me from God and Jesus being a bridge and basically allowing me to cross over to God and have a relationship with him, him demonstrating his enormous love for us, and yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so to me, when I talk to people, when I share with people um, what the gospel means, what the message is about, that's really what I try to center in on, is that no amount of your sin, of your, um, of your recklessness, um, can overcome or is greater than the grace and love that God has for you. 
And when you do you share this with people? How do they respond when you share that? Uh, you know, I actually shared it with a coworker recently, and initially, uh, as we started talking about it, uh, she was a little bit troubled because, um, as we were talking about um, near-death conversions, eleventh-hour um, conversions, she was a little bit troubled because she felt that it was wrong that people who had done a lot of wrong could be forgiven just as equally as people who had done right their whole lives. And I really explained that um, it's a demonstration of the love that Jesus has for us. And I also explained that there's a dichotomy within people and how they live right and wrong for God and the rewards that it translates to when we get to eternity. Um, It explained that that's where the difference is. But um, when I share that with people, um, the reception for the most part is um, usually the biggest thing I come across is a lot of people that I speak to that aren't believers have trouble with how a God could let bad things happen to good people. And I yeah. really try to, um, I really try to Malachi um, uh, 3.3 that speaks about that. And I really just try to illustrate to them that, you know, good things are going to happen to bad people. Jesus promises us that in J- John 16.33. And so, you know, we're promised that bad things are going to happen. And, this side of eternity, we'll never know why. Isaiah says our uh, God's ways are higher than ours, so we have to trust that God knows what's best for us and let him sort out all those things. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, thank you for your call. I appreciate that. You know, I think, you know, as he's talking, you know, one of the things that, you know, sticks out to me is that when I ask the question, you know, what's the narrative, I think that what we want to do, right, is get into the the doctrinal beliefs and you know whatever however we might say our own creed right this is what i believe and it's good to know that it's good to have the the systematic theology behind all of that but when he's talking to the person who is talking about near death experiences or people who get saved who like the thief on the cross they didn't live a good life and why is that fair you know, why Why do good things happen to good people? You know what? That's usually where the conversation begins with somebody, right? That's usually there's some objection that people have. And the objection is often not necessarily to the structure of the theology as we lay it out. The objection is to the feeling that I have, the feeling that I have as a human being that says, it's not fair that I lived a good life or I lived a better life than this person clearly did, but that person accepted Christ at the end of their life and they get an eternal reward and I'm not going to get one because I don't believe in that. And, you know, that's a real, you know, struggle, an understandable one, because every single way of thinking, every narrative, every religious narrative, all of them, every philosophical narrative with respect to, you know, who God is or what's the right way to live. All of them have to do with earning salvation or earning the whatever it is the reward is, whether it be just a, a humanistic reward or some kind of eternal reward from God or from the universe. Every narrative that we are about, every narrative even in our life, it tends to be we earned something. We earned that favor, right? That's the narrative. So for a Christian narrative, and this is why I'm exploring, it's coming up on Easter, right? This is an opportunity to invite people to church. And your pastor's probably saying, invite your friends to church. And uh, you're wondering how to do that and have the conversation. You know, I think having a, a narrative in a way that simplifies these things that we believe and that really sits down and hears from people 
from where they're coming. I think this is the way to approach it. So I'm really interested in hearing your narrative for salvation. What is the Christian narrative? You know, a narrative, just if you're not even aware of what that is, it's a way of framing the realities of our life, okay? It's a way of interpreting the world, whether it be something on the news or events that happen or the weather or, you know, where is the world headed? A way of interpreting how people perceive the world and how people respond to what's going on. That is a narrative. And there's a story that people will tell. I think that God is going to save good people. That's the narrative, and you need to do as many good works as possible. Or maybe I have a religious narrative. The religious narrative is if I do a certain number of acts, if I knock on enough doors, if I go to all the right classes, if I go to church every Sunday, that I have a, you know, then if I do that, then I get salvation. That's a religious narrative. What's the Christian religious narrative? What's the story? You know, the gospel, it means good news. It's an announcement. It is, it's simply a story of something that has been done. How do you, how do you share that? I'm interested in hearing that from you. I see your calls up there, Bob and Pete. I'll get with you as soon as we come back from the break. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Southern California Live, Pastor Scott Furrow with you. We'll be back as the Tuesday edition continues. Stay tuned. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Text Scott right now in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. Scott Furrow, your host. I'm asking this question today. What is the Christian narrative? And I'm saying that because we hear a lot in the news today, in particular after the shooting that went on in Nashville. There's a lot of conversation about narrative, right? There's a trans narrative and there's a gun narrative. There's a pro-gun, an anti-gun narrative. There's multiple. There's a you know left-wing narrative, right-wing narrative. You hear that term narrative. Narrative is basically just a way of framing the a subject in order to be persuasive, really, in order to really communicate a particular point of view. And when our narratives are incorrect factually or just in reality, the narrative falls apart, right? Uh, If you are a liar and you're telling a narrative for what you think really happened, but somehow the proof comes out against you, eventually your narrative falls apart, people would say. What's the Christian narrative? It's coming up. We're coming up on Easter. We're at a time where your church is likely asking you to invite people to church. We should be doing that regularly, but I think maybe in a bigger way, rather than just invite them to church, we should be investing in people, the people that God has placed in our life. That's going to cause you to have conversations with people. And the conversation is different than just a class. And so what is the narrative? How do you describe a a Christian narrative about the world? 888-528-2557 is the number, 888-528-2557. 2557 Bob in Garden Grove welcome to Southern California Live. Yeah, Scott, thank you for uh, having me on the radio. Yeah, go ahead, Bob. I, uh, yeah, usually when I talk to people about, you know, I will tell them, you know, that in Jesus uh vocabulary sin is all, you know, the adultery, uh, everything is, you know, you cannot uh, clarify what's not what's yet. Let's say for the case in the case of uh Mary Magdalene you know, what did Jesus said? She was caught up in adultery. Where is the man? Oh, okay. Well, he knows what's going on. He, even the Simon, who is her uncle, was probably, you know, is a, is a what do you call the temple prostitute. Mm-hmm. And now, it was caught up with Jesus. What did Jesus said? Go sin no more. 
Well, in many cases, when people, when healed by Jesus, go sin no more, so you're going to be worse. Your health will be worse. Uh, you know, Christ gave us the software. When we try to delete the messages what he's given us through the people, through his word, and then what we try to say, we need to accept these people. I'm not putting nobody down. They, they have to come to Jesus, and Jesus can help them, can heal them. Of course, what happened to Mary Magdalene, he was continuing now to be one of the best help to Jesus because she realized she cannot get out of it. She cannot help herself. She needs help from above. All right, so you have you have a story yeah. there, kind of, and that's part of what narrative is. But if you're going to share yeah. why Christianity is true, why do you believe it? Why should someone else believe it? What's the short version? Well, short version is what Jesus did for me. He can do it for for you too. Oh, that's and pretty good. So, your yeah. does your personal story fit into that? Would you say that well, this is well, what Jesus well, literally well, did for well, me? Well, yes, He can do for you. Yeah. Uh, I believe the personal story is the best one. Yeah. I mean, we can not put people down. We need to love people. We need to try to help them. But also you have to tell them, you know what, if you tell them it's okay, this kind of lifestyle, then they will not ask for repentance. And right, and you're, you're not... responsible for them to go in hell. And it's not loving. Not at all loving. It's, it's decidedly loving. unloving yeah. to recommend somebody continue in sin. So, all right, yeah. Bob, I appreciate your call. Thanks for calling Southern California Live. We're talking about narrative, and what's the Christian narrative? And, you know, the big thing there was the idea of story, right? That that part of what often happens, and, and this is what I'm thinking about, everybody, is that we have the likelihood. We've got Easter coming up, that's for sure. I think we're going to have the likelihood of this shooting event happen in such a way that there will be lots of conversation about an attack on Christians. Maybe it's going to be a hate crime against Christians. That could be the charge, or the charge may not be that, and people might feel like it should be, right? There's going to be some kind of controversy one way or the other. And I'm thinking about the response that we have as Christians to each other and to the people that God has placed in our life, particularly the non-Christian, who might ask us what we think about this. And I think that our response, our relational response to the people that we work with needs to be something that isn't just, I need to plant my flag on the political narrative right and left about trans people. I think those issues are important. I think that there is, for the sake of our country as citizens, it's really important that we speak truthfully on that. And I think you can do that in a gentle way. I think you can say, you know, I believe that God created men and women. And I I think you can take this conversation and have compassion you know, for this person who committed this horrible crime to say, I think this person was obviously there in counseling. They're obviously dealing with some difficult things. And my view is, is that you can tell people, you know, that you're a man, but you're not if you're a woman. And if you are doing that and it's not actually a truthful narrative, it's going to cause mental pain. It's going to cause bitterness. It's going to cause anger. You know, we we're driving that narrative as a culture into a place where I think my opinion is what we're doing is we're, we're talking to people who have mental illness or have other things going on, and we are exacerbating that rather than steering them into a direction of help. And that's going to lead people to bitterness and anger, uh, suicide, violent acts. That's what people do when you convince them that they're going the right way when actually they're going the wrong way because it doesn't work. We have something, though, as believers that works. And our Christian story matters. And a big part of it, I think, that matters in this 
along with everything, is that all fall short of the glory of God. And you've got a story, right? There's some reason that God saved you from something. You didn't save yourself. If you think you did, you don't have the Christian narrative right. And that's a, that's a very good equalizer. It's the greatest equalizer, really. All fall short of the glory of God, and everybody comes to God. They come to eternal life the same way, through Christ. 888-528-2557. What is the Christian narrative? How do we talk about this in an effective way? Pete in Azusa, welcome to Southern California Live. Hi, Scott. Hi, Pete. Uh, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of what I would determine as the Pelagian heresy coming from everybody. And by what do you uh, mean Pelagian by that? Explain her- the uh, Pelagian heresy. Pelagian heresy is basically where Pelagius denied original sin. And the girl who asked the question about the near-death experience, that um, somebody's lived a really bad life, they have a near-death experience, and then they come to faith in Christ, if it's authentic faith, they're saved. And she didn't like that. And the reason why is because she doesn't realize her lost and sinful condition. Most people think that it's like, you know, they live a good life. When the most righteous man on the face of the earth is but a filthy menstrual rag before the Lord. That's what it says in Scripture. So the Bible teaches us that we are scum, all of us. And the only thing that we should be, the narrative is to focus on the works of Christ. Hmm. What did he do? It's what Christ did. The Bible is not about me, and it's and the worst thing we a lot of people are doing these days. It's involved in what I call narcissism, nar- nar- narcissistic uh, eisegesis. Uh huh. And narcissism. Narciss- Jesus is the idea, like you read the story of David and the five stones and Goliath, and then you know, and he, of course he slays Goliath with the stone and cuts off his head and all that. And then they turn it into something like this. So um, what is the Goliath in your life? And what are the five stones? And why did David have five stones? And they make a whole discussion about something that the passage has nothing to do with at all. It has to do with Christ. The story of David is a story of Christ being victorious over Goliath, over sin. And... Anytime we want to plug ourselves in and try to, you know, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, it's the Pelagian heresy. Basically, you know, and and, and the worst is personal testimonies. Oh, my. It's unbelievable. But don't you think a personal testimony, if if it's not about, if it's about how Christ saved me, not how I saved myself, it's a pretty good story, right? A pretty helpful thing. No, no. No, the minute we start using our own life as the example of how Christ changed me, which they did, which he does, he does, he cleans us up. I mean, and little by little, the process of sanctification can be long for some people, short for others, radical for some, and not so radical for others. It depends on where God picks us up and saves us, right? But when somebody starts to use their testimony, all everybody does is look at you and and all you got to do is stumble one time, say a bad word, and you call yourself a Christian. So they get a false understanding of what Christianity really is when we use ourselves as the as the proof for the for the veracity of of Scripture. And the the argument about truthfulness 
it all comes back to the scriptures, the most well-attested book on the planet. It's been picked on more than any other book. It's been fine-tuned, criticized, and there's all arguments that support the truth claims of Christianity. And great, Christ himself puts an end to the discussion of this transgender thing and all that. When he quotes the Old Testament, Genesis, and what does it say? Is it, you know, what does it say about getting a divorce? He says, well, uh, what does it say in Genesis? And God mm-hmm. made Adam and Eve, right? Made male and female, yeah. and the two shall become one flesh, right? Yeah. So G- Jesus doesn't understand transgenderism because that's not how he, God, the creator, made us. He made us in two genders, yeah. and that's the truth that we have to teach no matter how people feel. And, and we've got to stop worrying about what people feel because we have to be ready. When we say how we feel and we save ourselves, usually we get ourselves out of trouble. You know, and then but do we teach the gospel? No. Well, so I, then those people just go on the way. Yeah, you know, you I know? think uh, I'm, I'm with you. I want to emphasize, though, and I thank you for calling. i got to go to a break, Pete. Um, for sure, I think sometimes our testimony is wrong when it's just about how my life is better now that I have Christ. Like I'm better at work, I have you know I'm more successful. It can go, it can go on the wrong way. But you know Jesus tells us in Luke eight to you know he tells the man that he healed you know go home and declare how much God has done for you. There is always a command to go and talk about what the Lord has done for you. Second uh, Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor me of his prisoner, but in sharing for the gospel. You, you tell the story about Jesus. You tell the story about who, what Jesus has done for you. That should be a big part of your, your testimony. Um, but it has to be about Christ. And I think that's where our caller was going there, is that, you know, you didn't in the the heresy he's talking about, it's about the idea that you can sort of choose to live a perfect life, and if you could pull it off, you could be saved, right? There's a lot of problems with all of that. It was declared heresy a long time ago, but it still creeps into, you know, how we, we deal with things. But I would I would recommend that you think about this, that you're, you're, you are called to talk about how you once were and how Christ has made you righteous, how your sin is forgiven, you know, that your testimony about the Lord is, it can be personal to you. I think that you'll find that the people in your relational world that God puts in your life, they need to hear your story as it relates to the truth about Christ. And that's that's part of the the narrative. You got to be careful that it's not about, hey, I have a better life now that I found Jesus. I mean, that's true uh, to certain respect. I mean, that, that doesn't mean that you're not going to be injured or you're not going to, you know, but you're going to go through everything better with Christ. I say that that's true. But, um, you know, when in Mark 5, after he heals a guy, he says, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. This this man who's healed, he doesn't really know a lot, but he, he knows that he was demon-possessed, and now he is free, and he knows that Jesus did it. And he doesn't, Jesus doesn't say, go take Christianity 101, 201, 301. He sends him out immediately. And that guy becomes a tremendous missionary, turns out. All right. What is the Christian narrative? I'll share more about that when we get back. But you can tell me, what do you think the narrative is? How do we approach these things in a positive way about the, the narrative of Christianity and what Jesus did do for us? It's Easter. How well are we telling that story? 888-528-2557. Southern California Live. Uh, I'll be back as the Tuesday edition continues. Stay tuned. 
This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. We're asking the question, what is the Christian narrative? What's the story? You know, if you were to simplify it for somebody who maybe isn't a believer, how do you how do you say the basics of your faith? Do you know how? That'd be another question I have maybe for you is, do we even teach how to do this? 888-528-2557. George in Redlands, welcome to Southern California Live. Hello, Scott. Thank you for taking my call. I really appreciate you guys very much. I believe that uh, salvation is uh, through grace, and uh, it's what Christ has done for us, not what we can do. And I... Uh, I totally agree 100% with uh, what Pete was saying earlier in the call. And I believe that some of those testimonies are just way too bizarre. Oh, they insult <laughs> themselves and not Christ, just like how every religion started, uh, the fake religions. They all had revelations, you know, like uh, L.A. Uh Joseph Smith, uh, Charles Taz Russell. All of those founders have, uh, uh, even uh, Muhammad, have had a... Yeah, it becomes about themselves. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I think it's where you really have to make sure uh, that it your testimony is about what Christ has done for you, um, and not giving you a, you know a better life. You know, sometimes it becomes I got a new car, or I found a husband, or I found you know. It's about salvation. It's about eternal it's about life. Salvation. It's about. And as, Mar- as Martin Luther put it, uh, "Justus et simul pecadores," we are justified uh, through Him. But yet we're still attached to the sinful flesh. And uh, for us, it should hurt when we sin. And I, I say that um, other people will see that in you and that you hurt when you stumble. And uh, they will uh, actually realize that, you know, you are a true believer. Yeah. All right, George, thank you for your call. Appreciate you calling and listening to Southern California Live. The number is 888-528-2557. Uh, you know, we've talked about this with uh, testimonies. Um, we actually did a class one time uh, for how to write your testimony. And some people struggled in that class. Some people did great at it. And, you know, they came out with just a great testimony about, and it always involved their sin. And, you know, sometimes you don't feel like you should share that with everybody, right? That, and that's okay. Uh, but I think there's somebody in your life who, when you can humble yourself, and you can actually come to Christ, you know, and share your story with an individual who I believe God puts people in our life who need to hear how we came to Christ and not earthly benefits of following Christ. There's certainly earthly benefits, but everlasting benefits, because I think you'll find that something is true, that every human being has some kind of spiritual angst, right? Every human being has some kind of spiritual angst that they're carrying with them, and they have it in some way that they're they're trying to reconcile. And some of them will go to different religions. Some people will go to alcohol and drugs. Some people will go to, you know, uh, these left-wing narratives that we're having or far-right narratives, or it gets off track, right? But I think people are always having angst about, it's something that God has rigged us with. That's why every culture in the world has had to have some kind of response for who is God. And the Christian narrative has an answer for all of it. In every culture of the world, our, our Christian narrative about Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, it answers the, the angst that people have. 
888-528-2557. Herman in Orange, welcome to Southern California Live. Hi, hi Scott. How are you, my I'm, brother? I'm good, Herman. How are you? I'm just fine. I'm, I'm on the freeway going about three miles an hour in traffic. So. I, ma- I make a lot of calls on the freeway doing the same thing, so good job. <laughs> um, Scott, um, I was born and raised in a very orthodox Jewish family. And I'm the only one in my entire family who's come to the Lord Christ. I I thank God every day for that. Um, But I have two sisters. I have a a twin and older sister who both have cancer. And one, I believe, is in remission. The other one is having some serious issues. Mm -hmm. But they don't know Christ. I mean, and and they're not really orthodox in their faith. I mean, I don't know if they even go to synagogue anymore. But... Christ was never spoken in our home. Christ was, you know, I when I married my wife, who is uh, who also shared my faith. My parents, you know, rejected me. Mm. Uh, my yeah, I was going to ask it, you it if was, that it happened. Was, it was oh yeah, oh yeah, big time. It was really hard. I was my father just uh, pretty much disowned me. My mother had already passed away, but um, uh, it, it's. I want them to know the Lord with all my heart, and I don't want to turn them off. I want to be gracious and loving, but I want to have the right words so they, even if they say, well, no, I don't want to, but at least, you know, you know, the seeds of the Lord are planted, and, and uh, you know, I, I just give it to the Holy Spirit. But yeah. I, I just need some guidance on how to do this in a loving way, and, and so they How's can— How's your relationship with them? Um, good question. Did we they reject each other? Maybe. Were you rejected too, or or you do have a relationship? Oh, we, I was rejected by my older sister, I think, for quite a quite a number of years. Right now, uh, we we seem to. She's very happy when I call her. Yeah. Because uh, her situation and my uh, my twin sister, um, we 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 talk, but to say we're friends. Um, no, I, I think we're just like brother and sister. Yeah. And, uh, I, and, uh, I'm the only brother in the family. Yeah. So How well, I'm running out of time. So I just want to try to get a couple of questions in here real quick to you. Do you, uh, do you feel like they understand even some Jewish feasts, the Passover coming up, for example, or other stuff? Does, did oh, your family ever do yeah, any of that? Absolutely. They would understand that. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Oh, okay. Yes. You know, I would say that there are, with with the Jewish family, you know, part of the Christian narrative that we're getting here is still the same thing, that the what happened to Christ fulfills the law, not not ends it. It's important to know that. That Jesus's life, even the exile to Egypt, just like the Hebrews were exiled to Egypt, and the life of Christ and him being a sacrifice. All of that corresponds with the Old Testament. And one of the hardest things sometimes for Jewish people is they're often told not to read the New Testament. But here you have a guy who a billion people think is the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. And I would try to point people to the life and death of Jesus Christ, try to point them to him being the Messiah and saying, have you ever considered that he might really be? And focus on the resurrection, because even his followers didn't really believe until the resurrection. Right, they weren't they weren't waiting outside the tomb on Easter morning, going you know with a countdown nine, eight, seven. They didn't believe it, um, but they believed after. 
and I would focus on the, the, the resurrection and the idea that God created the world and everything in it, including every human being, to have a relationship with him. We sinned. If they're Jewish, they, they accept the fall, all right, the sinful fall of man. And that they, re, they accept the idea that we rebelled against God and that there's a separation between God and humanity. All of that is there, basically. But that Jesus is the Messiah, and he lived the perfect life. He died on the cross just like the sacrificial lamb. And his death and resurrection, he conquered sin and death and provided a way for people to be forgiven and reconciled to God. And the the Messiah that so many Jewish people were waiting for, uh, he is coming back, right? So a lot of rejection is, is they were hoping for a political leader that didn't come, but he is coming. Uh, Jesus is going to come and he's going to reign uh, in Jerusalem. That is a Christian belief. So there's a lot more here. I would, have you ever been to a messianic congregation? Uh, no, I haven't. You know what? Look at uh, if you if you send me an email because I'm running out of time here. Um, I can give you some recommendations if you just wanted to look at a messianic Jewish congregation and speak to. He'll probably go by a rabbi. Talk to him. I think you'll get some very good advice there. Um, okay. This Thursday, okay. this next Thursday, next week, we're going to have uh, Rabbi Gary Dereshinsky. He's in Los Angeles. I can connect you with him. He's not really where you are in Orange, but he probably knows somebody. So if you send me an email, SoCalLive at KKLA.com, SoCalLive at KKLA.com, I'll connect you. All right. All right, Herman. Okay, we're out of time, everybody. I didn't get to your other calls there, and I thank you for them. We'll be back tomorrow on, and uh, from 3 to 5. God bless you, everybody. Be in prayer, and uh, we'll talk about narrative uh, in a little bit. Have a great evening. I'll see you tomorrow from 3 to 5. Good night.